founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back. Today, we are joined by Lucas Gerler, Managing Director of X Social Media and an ad agency specializing in Facebook and Instagram mass tort justice client acquisition. That is a mouthful. Since 2010, they've informed and connected over a half a million people to legal representation through social media and digital TV. With over 2,400% growth in the past three years, X Social Media achieved number 159 on the Inc. 5000 list. Lucas is an automation and SaaS expert who has worked with CEOs, business owners, and VPs of marketing and sales to craft and implement sales and marketing solutions that drive business growth. Lucas, my friend, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here as well. Um, Thanks for having me, Drew and Jordan. Yes, man. I'm so curious. What were the series of events for you, Lucas, that led you to doing all that you're doing today? So it's definitely been a, like most founders, I would say a jagged path and not one that was straightforward or not one that I necessarily had the vision for where I would end up at the end of the goal. Um, But like a lot of people, um, you know, I started out in a corporate environment um, and, uh, you know, had different stages of corporate growth that I was a part of where I was a uh, first employee for a company or where I was part of a a riff where I think there was maybe like 2000 people that were let go in the same day uh, from a company at one point as well. It was one of those billionaire unicorns, right? Silicon Valley startup. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the core of everything that I was doing, I was really wanting to help people was like the real core, um, whether it be like a a client or who they were helping. Um, And then by chance, um, the different businesses that I was starting, getting into um, and working with, I ended up connecting with the founder of X Social Media and really aligned with his why. Um, If you guys know like Simon Sinek, um, way back when, you know, start with the why, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So really our whys really aligned to the point where we thought that what we could do together would be much more than any one of us could do separately. Um, mm-hmm. Because that why aligned so much, we decided to partner up. And then basically, um, you know, I came into his business um, and then took all of the stuff that I've learned from all the different businesses that I've been a part of at the different stages of their growth. Yeah. Um, because I've never been content with, let's say, a role. Um, I've always been more focused on, you know, the outcomes or solutions to problems as opposed to just accepting them. Sure. Um, You know, it really led us to some explosive growth and to really um, put ourselves in, you know, different positions to continue to um, maintain that crazy growth that we've had um, up to this point. Um, But also really with that why being the focus where all of our growth comes out of helping more people. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. So anything that we can do and I can do to extend uh, my team, my voice, uh, other people's voice that don't have a way to extend it. That really is um, kind of what got me here, brought me here, uh, yeah. and keeps me here. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that makes me think of two questions. The first is when you were going through those different roles at different companies, was mm-hmm. there a continuity of kind of role and responsibility there that led you to what you're doing now? Or did that vary, but you had the same kind of outcome that you kept delivering and translated that to, to here and now? And then my second question after that is around the why. I know you just touched on it a little bit, but I would love to hear what the why was 
that has mm-hmm. drawn you and continues to draw you. But let's start with uh, your background when you were uh, at some of those different companies. Yeah, so a lot of the time I was in charge of, um, you could put any different skin on it, but it would be like sales and marketing or sales yeah. and marketing or a different piece of sales or marketing for the company or the companies that were the clients of the companies that I was working for. Um, and different stages, um, I started working with more and more founders of companies. Um, so it evolved from, let's say, a uh, junior level director or something like that, or a manager at a company to um, really only working with founders of companies that were solopreneurs, things like that. Um, When I started doing that, it was when I started really recognizing that there wasn't anything that they were doing that was necessarily different, or if like they were taking advice from me, it's like I could go do the things that they were doing. Um, So there was just things that I didn't know that they were doing. So I just started learning as much as I could from Um, you know, I used to keep track, but let's just say it's in the thousands and thousands of businesses that I've spoken with, consulted with, heard about their business models or plans. Um, And so it was only really like after building up enough belief in myself Mm. that then I started um, doing my own businesses. Um, I had other businesses that had been, you know, even in college, I had a, a painting business, if you're familiar with those kind of like setups, things like that, right? So I had other businesses, um, but I started really taking risks and failing or succeeding. Um, And that's really, I think the difference between like, you know, let's say my 23 year old me and today is just, you know, understanding the risk, understanding what I do or don't know and how to get, you know, that, that gap filled. Wow. Um, And then I guess the second question um, for you, I'm I'm never really good at massive ADHD, uh, which typically keeps people away from like focusing on one thing. Um, but I did a pretty good job. I remember your second question. So the yes. why, which is a really good question because for me, and I think for a lot of people, um, helping other people always gives you a really good feeling, mm. right? Psychologically, whatever, whatever, whoever you're helping or however you're helping them, whether it be like one person or like a lot of people. Um, and so like really for me, the why comes down to not accepting, let's say like the status quo of, um, we can't hold these people accountable, right? Or it does like that's just the way that it is. Mm. Like those types of like comments, like when I was a, a kid, they never sat well with me, and like today they don't sit well with me. Um, and so I think that that why is driven by like the the naysayers or the people that are like, well, you can't change things, um, and the fact that you really can change things, and there always is actors and people and things like that that can be held accountable. And now we're definitely in a society in a time period in society where it is easier to disseminate information and um, people are caring more and more about the why behind things or um, you know how things got to where they are what's propelling them or like you know taking the veil off and seeing behind the curtain yeah Um, so for me the why is like holding corporations people uh, businesses accountable um, for wrong actions that hurt other people. So it's really to like, not necessarily like, I don't want to be like a a white savior protector. It's more along the lines of like, Hey, I know that I'm willing to fight. And if other people will help us fight and can uh, kind of progress that fight, then it's definitely something that, um, you know, we are in it for that reason. And the more that we can bring other people in, have them learn what we're doing. Like we're all about teaching it because that's more people that'll 
get helped in the end. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's beautiful. So it sounds like to me, the why is really a kind of a justice oriented why, right? That yeah. there's, like you said, giving a voice to the voiceless or, you know, helping the underdog and really about establishing fairness again, you know, that yeah. this, just because this is the way it is, doesn't mean it's the way it should be. That's not fair. Or that's not right. Is that, is that correct? It's correct. It's um, the, the scales of justice, right? And so the scales of justice are always in swing. Um, and it's just making sure that, you know, we're fighting on the side that's, that's keeping it in the, the people's swing, right? Yeah. The, the people's thoughts behind it. It's beautiful. I'd love to, I'd love to just touch on something real quick since I have you and you're an expert on this um, with sales and marketing, right? You start to see mm -hmm. that it's the obvious lifeblood of a company. Like if you can't market and get sales, you don't have a, you don't have a business, you don't have a viable business. And mm -hmm. my experience has been, it is either incredibly intimidating because it's a very difficult skill, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a very difficult thing to master or it can be um, icky maybe is the word I would use, right? Like, so for the people, sometimes it's like for the people that seem to have it mastered, you're often like, I don't know if that's me or I don't know if that's like, you know, how I would do it using that tactic or that trick or that hook, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but you seem like such a expert at it. Uh, your track record proves that and are doing it in a, in a, in you know, a genuine way and a, a, you know, a desire to help people, not trick people, bait them in that kind of thing. Are there any quick tips you could give us? Cause we have, you know, our, our listeners are all founders, right? They're people that are going to need to be learning how to do sales and marketing and scale their company. Uh, mm. What have you learned that would either make it easier to do it while also uh, doing it in a way that I think maybe would sit well with you? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so like I, maybe to sum it up different, like secrets maybe, or sure, yeah. different things that I've learned, um, you know, from being in uh, sales or, you know, client or customer facing positions for as long as I've been. Um, definitely. I think remembering that everybody's human, right. Is like number one. So people will have good days. People have bad days. Maybe you called somebody or somebody emailed you on like a good or a bad day. Always mm. take that into consideration. Um, second is any no, um, is is not like a personal attack right and so yeah. like it, if you ask somebody something straight out the natural response is always going to be no and so it's just understanding that like where things are coming from and what things they would say yes to and really putting yourselves in their shoes and having to understand that fully as opposed to understanding just let's say your solution and mm. how your solution fits in your what you think is a, a whole but it's actually like a square hole. And I guess that's not a good analogy because squares and holes maybe fit together according to which one's which, right? But um, <laughs> you guys get the point, right? So like yes. sometimes we try to put things in places that they just never will fit. And that's where I think the icky side of sales comes in where it's like, yes. I'm trying to sell you on something that maybe you have somebody that's just going to say yes because they want to get you off the phone or they really don't care about whatever it is or something like that. I think I bought a like a timeshare or something like that. I'm sure one time over the phone because it was cheap, <laughs> right? Because um, I liked the person's sales, right? He was very nice. He was professional. Um, so like, you have to always keep those things in mind as well. But the more like human you can be and the more um, I see is the term, if you can hit like their day, like it was like a side of a bus hitting their face, like kind of coming in, that's very different. So like if every, uh, if every meeting was a Zoom meeting, right? 
maybe your Zoom meeting was a little bit different or you said the software that I could actually uh, like a weatherman go inside of my software. So I would be looking at other people's software and it would be normal. And then I would jump in my software and I'd be like a weatherman and be like, but as you can see, right. And so just changing things a yeah. little bit, making it different. Um, and then really like um, always engaging and 90% of the conversation should be them talking to you. Um, and 10% should be you talking to them or asking questions. And if it's not that, then they're not like, if you're talking and you like yeah. them afterwards, that's psychological because you like them because you talked a lot during that time. Mm. If they talk to you, they like you a lot because they trust you now. Yeah. <coughs> it's interesting. I'd love to see if you have any secrets of success on, on this too. So this made me think about, um, Oftentimes you'll hear about the people who are struggling with sales and at some point they're going to talk about we're struggling with closing, you know, it, it becomes a closing conversation. Mm -hmm. Some of the things I've read and one of the mentors that I've had really, he, he has a kind of a different perspective on that of like the close shouldn't be the issue. It should happen, you know, ahead of time. And even just some of the objections, he's like, those should have gotten kind of answered along the, along the path, but any um, perspectives around, closing that like hey your closing could improve if you would actually you're not actually doing some things on the front end or any secrets in in that space that you would typically speak to um it's really easy to accept like yeses and things and get to let's say like the end of presentations and the proposals and like to get off the phone um if there's questions in your mind that are unanswered or if you think there's even a question that is unanswered um, or that was, you know, asked six other times prior. And when it got to that point, um, I think that that sales person that you were talking about was, you know, right on where it's, you know, the more that you can get those things out in the open. Mm. Um, you know, I even talked to, I, I really like this uh, one, you know, he was a, let's call him a lifelong sales account executive. Um, you know, what, what he, the way that he phrased it that I really liked um, was that, you know, he always wants, um, you know, the, the sales to always feel more consultative and never feel salesy. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and so I think that's just like a core. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you're in that consultative mindset, then you are simply workshopping or discovering what would actually be a benefit to someone versus what you're talking about earlier, which is you've already got a, you know, a preloaded idea that you're trying to kind of horseshoe into into this moment right mm -hmm. and it's like a, a consultant wouldn't necessarily give a client one option they'll always give them two or three and so mm. if you know the two or three other options that they would be looking at even if it's a competitor and you understand the benefits that they bring then you can basically be their one salesperson um, and then the other trick I guess is just probably more of like a marketing trick but it's also a it, typically works out in sales is typically like the first company that somebody reaches out to is who they do business with. So that kind of goes back to that last point. Like if you can shorten up um, what they would otherwise need to do, provide yeah. them with absolutely everything that's like, Hey, here's like from a non-biased perspective, not just like how we look at it, but how like other people in your industry look at this, things like that, you know, these three different options that are the, the competitors, you'd be surprised how they will pick you or, um, back yeah. to that other, you know, sales is back like if you have, let's say three things that typically your clients, you know, typically complain about, and that if they were to go Google things, they would find addressing those things by like getting those yeah. things out, you know, prior, 
mm-hmm. um, before like they go and find something that you didn't tell them and then you lose their trust. Yeah. Right? So just knowing, knowing yourself and knowing your industry, knowing uh, your competition, um, explaining that to them. And really, like I said, really being that consultative sales, I think would be all cores tenants of sales. That's huge. That's so good. I'd love to use X social media as, as maybe a case study, right? So mm-hmm. you join, you, you like the why you join up, you got this mission uh, of, it sounds like, you know, using social media to discover people that have a right to some kind of justice they're not getting mm-hmm. and being able to make them aware of that and bring them in and represent them, right? How did yep. you go about, you know, approaching that strategy? How did that, what was the strategy that you uh, were able to develop to do that marketing campaign to find those people and to achieve that mission? Um, so a lot of times, and this is why I think, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram work really well for this. Um, people aren't searching for what we're necessarily telling them about. Hmm. Um, there may be like news, things like that on it. Um, but a lot of times, you know, it's, it's kind of like tried to be hush hush, like the company that let's say is the bad actor, they might have to pay a fine and they might have to go out and do a, they call like a notice campaign. Um, but you never really see those, right? Yep, yep. Um, and so, you know, what we try to do is really the connecting of the dots. Um, and if let's say there's, uh, you know, this causes this, but these people don't understand that, we try to connect the dots for them and help them both visually, um, both through like storytelling or um, like newscaster style videos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, basically understand that, hey, this, uh, just use an example that's, you know, kind of uh, a big one right now that, you know, I, I don't think my girlfriend really believed for a while. Um, but then, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that, like you might even see in the news, you might be like, is that fake news? Mm, right? Yeah. But it's, um, there was asbestos in Johnson and Johnson's talcum powder. And so all these people that were using it, the place that they were using it, then they later got ovarian cancer. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and, and so it's like, if we aren't involved, <coughs> excuse me, if we aren't involved, then there's different actors that can come in and let's say they get, you know, 50 people and then they get those 50 people assembled, but they never actually told all these other people. There's things called statutes and things like that. Um, so a lot of what we're doing is really trying to find the buckets that let's say Facebook puts everybody into for interest and mm-hmm. see where there's correlations. So let's say that, um, you were just diagnosed with a um, terminal cancer. What would the behaviors be that you would do that other people would maybe do that we can then interrupt that and say, hey, like that actually maybe wasn't because you didn't eat organic food, but it was actually based off of this product that you used or thing that you consumed mm. or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think it's, it's really just uh, interrupting people um, people scroll where they say like the Eiffel Tower or something like that every single day or Statue of Liberty it probably changes whatever whatever one's yeah. taller it's probably that one now right um, <laughs> by the time this yeah. airs it's whatever the tallest building in the world is it's that is what people scroll yeah. a day um, but it's really just disseminating information doing it over and over again like they talk about frequency things like that right so sometimes yeah. we have to hit somebody with five different messages five different ways to get them to understand things um, but it's really just helping people connect the dots yeah well it can't help go ahead jordan so i just love the thought of like intercepting people's patterns 
is something that we care about as coaches. You know, we want to try to interrupt the pattern of behavior that they're doing to help make them make adjustments towards whatever new habit they might try to, to establish to get, you know, to become more successful. But I would be interested, a similar question on like, hey, what are the secrets to interrupting somebody's attention? You know, they're, they're dead set on scrolling as far as they can. And, and how do we capture them um, to, to grab their attention? And, and maybe you can even share the statistics on like, what is the average attention span right now? I think it's even gone down from when I heard about it a few years ago. I heard somebody recently mention it. So you might, might know that. But yeah, what are, what are the, the secrets that are in that space that aren't proprietary necessarily, but that you feel privileged sharing uh, to just capturing somebody to try to interrupt them? What are the things that you've learned there? Um, stick out and be different, definitely, right? So if you're on a medium and you see that these are the colors and the images and uh, whatnot of that medium, um, mm -hmm. stick out and be different, whether mm -hmm. it be, you know, borders, things like that, um, yeah. or, you know, your, your question, Jordan, on like the, I don't know that I necessarily have hard data, which, you know, to quote anything, I would say I would need like some hard data off of. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think we always called it like the goldfish, right? Like the goldfish was maybe like 15 seconds or something like that, right? Right. Um, yes. But I definitely would think now that like, let's take, take like TikTok as an example. Yeah. That's like a, that's like a 15 second video, right? <laughs> and so if 15 seconds isn't people's attention span because you're looking at maybe the two seconds or whatever, one second, right? And so, um, the more that you can do to describe what your video is about, right? So like titles, bars, yeah. things like that. Again, things that stick out. Um, the more that you can kind of tease things in the very beginning or like get right to like the um, like point, I guess. Yeah, get to the point. Right. That's right. Get right to the point. Um, no, you know, least amount of, um, you know, if you're trying to push something or get somebody to watch something that's brand new. Um, shorter videos, quicker to the point. If it's something that, um, you know, we already have audiences, things like that, we can do longer videos. that's more like explanatory. Um, but mm -hmm. still, I think that like the first five seconds is very, very important of any ad video image moving text. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even on TikTok for me, within the first five seconds, I'm actually not looking at the video. I'm looking down at the description. Like I want, yeah. I want to just know the point. Like, is this going to be a funny yeah. video? What's the, what's the punchline? Like, is it worth me yeah. <laughs> giving you another 10 seconds? Um, and the ones that do a good job of that, I'll, I'll give it a chance, you know? Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious uh, to think about, so language is so important in the marketing space, right? Like I think that's what I've loved about the marketers that I've met is how they really treasure language and powerful language and how it, how it can grab you. My a personal learning lesson, Drew was on the call with me when we were having this, but sitting down with a marketer and trying to talk to him about something specific we were trying to do. And he was like, boring, boring, like just the yeah. way in which I was describing it. And I'm like, I'm trying to describe it so accurately and so realistically. I'm not necessarily trying to, to flavor it up, but he was thinking about the headline, you know, thinking about the title of like, how do we, how do we capture somebody? So my, I think my, my question would be, maybe how have you gone about learning that or how would you encourage someone else go about learning to crank up their language or to even like write a title that would actually grab somebody's attention versus just be that boring one that it's like somebody's going to scroll through. Were there ways that you went about learning that or did you just pick up a, a thesaurus and just work hard? Um, what was, what was the way that you kind of would do that or even would encourage somebody who was trying to like increase their ability to be less boring? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
always look at what is getting shared, what's getting commented on, like what's in the public eye, um, I would yeah. say would be like first and foremost. Um, but then for me, it's, it's a lot of it's about natural language. So don't write how, let's say your sophomore in high school language arts teacher taught you how to write. Um, write instead how you would converse with somebody mm. and always think that people are going to read it with their own uh, mental voice. Yep. And so like if, if you want to put a period and then put and because that's how it sounds in your mind when you're writing it, then you should do that and not yeah. care that like there might be this like some English troll yeah, yeah. That, then there's like comments it's like oh that's actually it should be this right like it's, yeah. it's yeah. great like it's not it's not written for that um and the other thing would be like lining things up as well so like if let's say the the end thing that we want to get somebody on is a landing page um and it has certain images and um, certain way of talking and it's um talking to a certain aspect of what they're trying to go after so let's say um, we're trying to you know serve somebody justice and they were a um you know survivor like they, that's the way that they think of themselves versus let's say a victim right if i was to use different language at any other point in the marketing and then they get to let's say that end point and it doesn't line up hmm. then that's it, it's psychologically that's that red flag that's in like well something isn't right here it's like well they were telling me that they were all about survivors, 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 survivors. And then I would get here and it's like, tell us how you were a victim. Right. Yeah. And so I think that language is very, very important. Um, and then there was one exercise. I don't know what, when this was in school or college, or I might've blacked out and I just dreamed about this. I'm not sure, but I know that one point I had a professor or something that always, they had us um, write things in like very minimum amounts of let's say words. So it'd be like, mm -hmm. you'd, take that 12 page paper and now make it 500 words right yeah. and it's like how can you get that down to like 500 words right um but the the more precise you can be with your language um even if it's using like you know terms that you don't think people will understand a lot of the time they get it from context um but being very specific um lining things up um and then trying to again going back to like the two seconds that we might have on a tiktok video same thing applies to like writing and things like that. People are bite-sized with their chunks. Mm. Um, and so really like drawing them in and um, writing in a style or a way um, that makes it easy for the eyes to read, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't give somebody a, you know, no paragraph, you know, single space, something, right? So it's making it easy to read um, and making it how you would talk, how you would converse, thinking of the mind, um, mental voice whatever they call that thing. that's yeah. so good as i was asking you that question i was thinking about you might not be the one who's having to do all that these days you you probably not these have, days yeah no. you have some sort of team and what i love about businesses like yours is is they like rely on brilliance like you gotta have brilliant people we specifically in this um you know right now we're, we're a small company right like in terms yeah. of like um, employee size, uh, we're still, I think under 20 people. Yeah. Right. Um, but in terms of each employee that we hire and, um, any that would want to come to us that were like experts in any field or, um, experts on Facebook, um, we really look for like the, the savants, like the, the geniuses, if you mm -hmm. will, 
um, because, you know, there's, 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 I guess, some science to it, but a lot of it is like, can't really be taught. Yeah. You know, and it's just uh, something that a lot of people get after that 10,000 hours. Right. Yeah. 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 We felt, we felt similarly when we were building our company that we went ahead and made it a value to be brilliant. Yeah. It was one like false humility. We didn't feel like helps any leader when they're there. Everybody, you know, can, can sniff that out, but also like brilliance is required to do what it is that we do. Like we, you can't, it's, it takes so long to try to teach somebody this. There's like, you gotta have it. And I, I respect that about you guys is as well. Cause it's like, you have to be, bring a level of savant, a level of genius, a level of brilliance every single day uh, that is just fascinating. And so really maybe where my curious is maybe all taking a quick internal perspective towards the company of like, how have you gone about leading people like that? Because they typically have some other personality traits that are tied into that type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. how do you lead a bunch of, you know, mavericks who are wanting to do whatever they want to do? How have you kind of approached that? That was exactly my question. Um, I wish that I let my dogs inside. His name is actually Maverick. And every morning he goes on a run with me and I take him off. I let him off his leash. He just, he stays beside me. Right. Um, And so he's a really good example where it's like, if even a Maverick, he can wear his leash, but he doesn't need it. Right. And he doesn't need to wear his leash, but it's, it was with training that he got to that point. Right. Um, And so specifically like inside of the company with, you know, our, um, employees i think that it really comes down to empowerment um trust and belief um and challenging them where because i know that they can do things i'm constantly kind of saying okay 80 percent of your role is maybe the traditional role that we hired you for but this other 20 percent um i want you to come up with a new way or solve for this problem or um you know uh change the way that we market this Mm. Right. Um, And then I think that um, the first thing that I do um, that I probably should mention first before I even hire anybody. um, And it's something that I have for all of my current employees. It was was one of the like first weeks when I uh, came to the company I did, um, but I, uh, it's called 16 personalities was the company, but I did a personality test and that that one was just as good as I think there was um, colors and, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all these different ones that I've done in the past, um, but yeah. that one I thought was really easily accessible and it was really good at just helping them also understand then that how they should talk to each other. Um, mm-hmm. And so just kind of finding out who they are, um, what motivates them. Um, and then, you know, if they need to be held accountable for that personality type or if they need to be challenged for that personality type, or if they don't work well with these people, I kind of keep all those things in mind. Um, And then I like to partner up the company where if it's like a a problem, um, we kind of run a lot like a development company. We have certain software that we built internally. Uh, We have internal developers. Um, One of them is claimed to fame as coding Excel that a lot of people have used. Um, and so, yes, right. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, um, treating everything like a sprint, um, putting like a leader on it where it's like, Hey, this is an issue. And I, as a leader, I can try to solve that issue myself, but it's like, I have all you guys and girls. It's like, why not give this issue to you three, you lead this team. And then you three come together with a solution and 
two weeks, present it to the company, and then that becomes the way, right? Mm. And then it's something that they, um, like I was it uh, King Arthur or whatever the the Round Table the Knights mm-hmm. of King Arthur or whatever. Right? It's like all the people in our company once a week we have a, a round table conversation. Everybody can say what it is that they want to say, get anything off their chest. It's like there's not from the um, lowest on the totem pole to the highest on the totem pole. Everybody's opinion and voice matters, and everybody yeah. sees the impact that each person can have. And it's not like we, you know, have a uh, a moat around um, that abilities. You know, it's anybody can you know suggest anything. Yeah, it sounds like you've got more of that flat hierarchy structure, right? Where, Super flat. Yeah, it, which is an empowering model, right? Like the 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 potential risk is people, you know, not making good decisions, but the upside is people making great decisions and people making creative solutions to problems. And you know, we have the uh, same thing. We hire for brilliance. And I was talking to one of our, one of the guys that works with us. And what came out for him was he said, I need you to give me another impossible problem to solve that. Like that was something that he, he kind of itches for like too much on his plate was normal too much on his plate was just managing this and doing what I know how to do. And he's like, I need you to give me an impossible. We call him the Kool-Aid man. Like give me a wall that I can just bust through and, and find a way through it. And you realize like, wow, that for that kind of personality, that's actually a really good motivator. For the mm-hmm. leader, sometimes you feel bad giving someone an impossible problem to solve. But if you've got brilliant people, that's what's going to get their mind engaged. That's what's going to get their their kind yeah. of motivation high, right? Yeah. It would be like a couple of things. Literally, Drew and I had a conversation this week uh, with, with an executive. He's actually more of a COO seat in his, in his company, but he he's actually leading quite a bit of independent salespeople within with their within their organization and they're high performing you know they're they're driven and they're similar in terms of just some of their maverick personality traits tough to rein them in and he was talking so much on the support side of things that they're doing and i'm supporting and i'm supporting and i'm supporting and we just in, we just kind of asked him like hey what are you doing to challenge them and it doesn't necessarily make sense in his scenario, like, but they're not my employees, right? And so you feel almost in, in his case, I think that was one of the reasons he wasn't doing it. But the high performing person actually will be more attracted to you and more loyal to you and more committed to what we're doing. Stay by your side if you actually are giving them the, those challenges, because that's who they want to be around. And so we that we, we began kind of discussing that. But I love that calibration of like, you can't only challenge, like you still got to continue to provide support, which is what I hear when you're going, Hey, we have a round, a round table. It's like the nice little round table, like mm-hmm. it's highly supportive. Anybody can speak anything and, and they're not going to feel any hierarchies and, and roles don't matter in that space. And so ego can be, be removed from the, from the equation. That's just a beautiful support piece. So that yeah. we can keep challenging them to solve that new issue, to go through that sprint. I was curious, even just for our audience, uh, we, we mm-hmm. love the sprint format, but we don't, we don't have a ton. Sometimes we have a SaaS company who's on here, but we might have a founder who has no idea about the sprint thinking. And so could you speak to that and just kind of describe that for a second for anybody who isn't necessarily familiar with that way of working and how you guys yeah. go about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the way that we describe our sprints and the way that we use that term um, and, the, and the way that we have it structured um, is we looked at like the year, right? And so we have a year and we have, what is it? 54 weeks, 52 weeks, right? Yeah. Um, So we looked at that and it was like, you know, last year is an example 
Um, to think of like, hey, you have to go through another year is very, you know, on the mind, uh, a different mindset than uh, I broke everything down into two weeks. And so with us, a sprint is a two week period um, or, or 14 days, you know, or, you know, 10 business days or whatnot. Um, we identify and define issues, um, whether it be with our, you know, uh, marketing, with our clients, um, with our software, um, anything that touches the business. Um, you know, during that two week period leading up to the next sprint, um, we define and establish the uh, plan, um, you know, with a sprint leader, um, as well as maybe a team member or two uh, for each issue within that sprint. Um, and then during the course of the two weeks, um, it's according to how hard that um, issue is to solve, is it either can be solved within that two weeks, so it's like a, like a bug fix or something like that would probably be solved or corrected. Um, if it's something that would be more, um, hey, we need the solution for this, then within that two week period, they come up with the solution, present it for the next sprint. Um, and that's yeah. the solution portion of um, fixing whatever the problem was yep. that was present. Um, yeah. And so it's just really trying to, um, there's always things that come up. Um, if we were to constantly just be throwing things kind of like on the back of the team, it's hard to kind of focus on what's important. And so for, for us, sprints make it where we can focus on what's important. Um, if something yeah. like high alert comes up, we can, you know, put it in there, um, you know, and tackle it like in time, I guess, if you will. But if it's not yeah. something that's like, if, if it's something that's been existing or it, it, it doesn't really affect things in like the next 14 days, it can, it can be fine to not get fixed today, um, then it goes into a, a sprint um, method. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is something that we've enjoyed. We've enjoyed scoring them, you know, putting points on the, on the, the issues themselves and trying yeah. to, that was something that we used during pandemic time to try to create some other level of progress and tracking in the midst of feeling like we got punched in the jaw during that time. Mm -hmm. And as we look back, we actually did grow quarter over quarter during that season and we, and we go, you know what? It was probably trying to just create a new metric of like, hey, we just we could at least score the sprints in the midst of feeling like, oh crap, we just had these two clients that felt like anchors for us that just hopped off. Really look back to that time and go, hey, our business actually grew during that time, didn't fail. What was something that we really like doubled down on? And it was a sprint, tracking the points, going, all right, here's a new scoreboard for us to keep going. Uh, yeah. Solid. There's a lot of um, value. Um, in this company, we do it, but also in, in past companies, I've seen it work really successfully as well. Um, and it is something that it can make some people uneasy, um, especially if they're, let's call it low performers. Yeah. Um, but anytime you publicly, like for the company, like publish any kind of, let's say scoring or numbers, um, or they were able to get through this many tasks um, or important issues, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah. and celebrate it, right? Where it's like, it's not a, hey, here's the one to 10 and let's focus on these bottom two. But yeah. instead it's like, hey, here's the top three. Hey, top three, what did you three do that made it where you could do that? And let's share like those winnings with everybody else. Mm. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, man, you you know, the one of the axioms is you, you, you cultivate what you celebrate, right? Yeah. So when we give attention to the things that we want to see more of and we celebrate it, it has a way of, of cultivating throughout the organization, right? And even for us in the pandemic, one of our 
one of our advisors uh, was great when he said, hey, you're not going to get you're not going to get much joy from tracking what you would typically track in a year like this year is going to be. So he's like, you got to find a different metric that you can take pride in. Right. So if it's not revenue, if this is going to be a tough revenue year with all the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, what could you track? And for us, it was our progress or it was our effort and mm -hmm. completing tasks and things like that that kept the team engaged like hey we are winning even though this may not be traditionally exciting that revenue was only this this month but look what we accomplished you know and giving those scores and those kinds of things so yep. it leads me it leads me to even thinking about for you right i know this isn't your only business you're involved with the only work you're involved with you're a super busy guy with a whole bunch of responsibility on your plate a lot of demand a lot of dreams a lot of things you know kind of cooking at once how do you do it how do you how do you balance yourself, lead yourself to where you can handle the demand that's on your plate and, you know, actually show up to it? I'm just curious about you kind of leading yourself and anything you've found that helps you be able to operate at the capacity that you're operating at. Um, definitely taking care of like all three tenets of like your health, right? So whether it's like um, you know, your mental health, yeah, I think is very important for me. Um, you know, I do... Uh, my physical health and my mental health kind of at the same time every morning. Um, so I think I mentioned my dog Maverick, him and I run go for, you know, maybe a three to five mile run most uh, mornings when I have like work. Mm -hmm. And that gives me, you know, space of let's say 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and it also, you know, endorphins, things like that. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, not getting into like specifics, I would say that like, that's something that it's definitely taken me time to understand the importance specifically for me of certain structure and of starting my days uh, for me as opposed to for anybody else or anything else. Yeah. So it's like if the first part of my morning um, was waking up and, you know, there's been different times where I've worked for different people or, you know, own different businesses where I did the same thing where it's like, if you jump into your work first thing every single morning, doesn't matter if you're working for somebody or the owner, um, it's not typically like, usually the first thing you have to tackle isn't like fun, yeah. right? It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like the, an email from this or whatever. It's like usually like not a fun thing. So instead yeah. really putting like um, specific, let's say times that you work and um, starting your day much earlier for me than the time that I, let's say work um, helps me to be in the space and the mindset um, where, you know, I'm not, you know, rushing, um, you know, starting my day at, let's say, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock, like most people, it's like my day started at five or six or whatever it did already spent time with my you know, son, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, that is a, is a secret is like to make it like your day before you ever give a piece of your day away to anybody else. Yeah. Um, and then also to reclaim your day at the end of the day. And mm. so it's like, um, for me, it's like, maybe I need to like decompress for let's say 30 minutes where I don't really want to do anything. You know, I don't want to have too many conversations. I just want to, let's say, sit outside, enjoy my, my yard, maybe play fetch with my dog, something like that um, to then get in the mental mindset to then like get back into, let's say family time. Yeah. Right? Um, and just like, kind of like having like those, those, those beginnings and the ends of the day. Um, and then mm -hmm. also being very like, Hey, I have a schedule. So like everybody wants to get on your schedule. Um, but the more that, even if you're not busy, I used to do it, right? If somebody calls, hey, I don't have time this exact second, but I can get you on the calendar for tomorrow. It's like respecting your time 
mm. um, will help other people respect your time as well. And every single, um, every single client of ours, I would say, is what you would consider a demanding client in terms of um, they all have things that need to get done right away, things like that, right? And so just also just like setting those boundaries of like, um, hey, it's 6 p.m. on a Friday. Our team doesn't work, you know, past 6 p.m. on a Friday. Um, you know, they can rush this and we'll get to it tomorrow, but it's like, it's Friday night. And so they're going to get to it tomorrow just because you just emailed or whatever. It's like also yeah. drawing that line for the team and helping them draw that line as well. Yeah. Um, that's for me, I think been helpful to uh, get as much done and try to have as many balls in different courts and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Creating, creating those structures, creating that intentionality. It allows you to be proactive instead of reactive. Right. So like, if we just wake up and the email dictates my action, well, now I'm in a reactive mode for the whole day. And who knows if that was the mode I needed to be in. Maybe they weren't even that urgent, but it caught my attention versus you bringing your own thoughts, vision, priorities into the day. It's, you're just going to get more done, right? And you're going to get the right things done. And then long haul, you're setting yourself up to, to be regularly capable of showing up to your challenges, right? So you're, you're bookending your day, you're taking your health seriously. We talk about capacity versus capabilities, right? That if you invest in your capacity, it brings your capabilities to life. But if you overlook mm -hmm. your capacity and, it start, and your capacity starts to diminish, you know, you're tired, you're frustrated, you're overworked, what well, drains your capabilities. And now you can't even bring those capabilities to bear, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're doing those kinds of things to make sure that you still have the capacity to bring your capability to bear in the day. Uh, really, really brilliant, man. I, I want to applaud you for that. Most people know they should do things like that, but they don't actually do them. So the fact that you're, you're doing those things is, is, you know, obviously a key to how you're able to get so much done at the same time. Well, like I said, it was, um, it wasn't something that I grew up doing. Um, it was things that I found and other people taught me. Um, mm -hmm. and that for me, and again, different people are different, but like, even like having like a defined sleep schedule yeah, changed yeah. my life right like yeah. this is these are the hours that i sleep right like pretty much i sleep during those hours now if i go out and you know anytime around those hours i'm definitely really tired so <laughs> any, of those, any of those small things right for me was really really, really really impactful yeah yeah we were talking about before the podcast recorded that the the work uh of the power of full engagement where they talk about energy management and one of the things that the author mentioned is when you have successfully implemented he calls it a ritual of recovery, right? So mm -hmm. sleep would be one. That's your ritual of recovery. I get these hours. He said, you know, you've really got one in place and done it well. When you don't do it, you feel it, right? Oh, yeah. So he's like, if you have a real ritual of recovery, it'll mean that when I don't do that ritual, my day is worse because of it. And he's mm -hmm. like, if that's not the case and you don't have the right ritual of recovery, because it's not really restoring you, or maybe it hasn't been consistent. And so your body doesn't feel it, doesn't feel the, yeah. the absence of it, right? And that's what you're describing with your sleep schedules. Like when I miss it, I feel it, you know, and, every, and mm -hmm. sometimes you'll make that choice. Like, eh, I'd rather feel it the next day because this is such a great moment that I want to be in, which is fair enough. Uh, but you end up going back to it because you realize how you need that regular restoration, right? Mm -hmm. So good. Well, how, I'm curious, has that been challenging passing that on to the people that work for you? Right? Like, is it, has it stayed something that like you do for yourself, but other people have a hard time getting on board with setting their own boundaries and prioritizing their health and things like that? Or has that been something you've been able to find success in transferring kind of that wisdom to, to your teams? 
Um, it's definitely, it's, it's not an easy, um, it's not something that easily translates um, when we're not in the same place anymore. Sure. Right. So it's harder to see different things, but it is things that, um, you know, going back to like kind of like our structure, um, you know, I gave myself the title that I have, you know, for all I could give myself a COO title if I wanted things like that. Right. Um, and so part of like my role is the people management side yeah. of things. Um, and, uh, you know, it is something that something that I've always liked about certain companies that I've worked with is when they invest in the person as well. Um, and so we're always looking for opportunities to, whether it be invest in the person to go get like a certain training, whether it be in person or online, um, or to spend time with somebody to say, Hey, like when I was, you know, it, it sucks when you say this, but like when I was in your shoes at your age or like whatever, I was doing this. And I found that this, this, and this maybe helped me. And again, going back to the personality profiles, um, been able to work with, you know, different people in different, different ways. Um, but I do think it is important and we could definitely probably get better at it being candid. Um, because I think that a lot of businesses spend so much time on themselves, um, that they don't go out of their way to, let's say monthly have a, you know, mental retreat for their employees. And definitely, like I said, working, um, in today's environment where I think it was almost a year ago last year is February. I think 23rd was the last day that we had our employees in our offices. Wow. Um, but, you know, you know, definitely um, we definitely try to understand that uh, there's again, going back to people being human. Um, all of our employees are human. They all have families, stuff that goes on, a girlfriend that breaks up with them, whatever the case is. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, we do try to offer different things. Um, and we tried to give them also the abilities to go out of, let's say, what we're offering them. Um, and, you know, every week I'll get like, hey, could I do this or could we get this or whatnot? Um, and if it makes sense and you know, can help one person, maybe a couple. Yeah. Uh, curious, where this may be kind of curious is, uh, is just mm -hmm. around for you specifically this is during this season. So we haven't even gotten into it too much, but pre-podcast, just talking about the all the different things that, that you're in. We've definitely had more of an ex-social focus. You have multiple businesses you're involved in, multiple goings on, which uh, I always appreciate from the entrepreneurial spirit. But my curiosity was less towards ex-social, more towards just Lucas. Like, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? Like, what's the, what's the thing that feels like you're tackling in life right now? What's the thing you're going after trying to knock out? Um, what is it for you these days? Um, so my goal is to continue to start new businesses, but there's a couple of them specifically that I have um, a little bit more passion for yeah. because they can help more people. Um, and I guess like the biggest struggle is not wanting to become or be part of anything that I would consider like a fad or a business and making sure that I stay on um, the right side of every business and I never become, let's say, a corporate greed profits over people type of business. Yeah. Um, and that that is really hard, especially when you have a lot of those other businesses lobbying for things that make it where it's in their favor. Um, and so I think that like that's like a, a struggle that I, you know, constantly deal with is kind of you know what I can control and what's let's say maybe outside of my control yeah. um, 
and I think that um, certain things are changing that'll maybe change those things are outside of our control, but like the current way that things are lobbied and the way that corporations pass off things and things like that um, is a pain in the ass, definitely right now. Um, and definitely for some of the um, things that I'm trying to do to help people, um, especially with their mental issues. Um, mm. I think the legality is going in the right direction, but it might be going more towards um, big business mm. than small. Um, and I think that there should be, let's say tens of thousands of small businesses uh, for every one big business, but here in America, it's the opposite versus Germany, which is the opposite, right? Yeah. So I think we just need more more small business, um, true help, um, as yeah. opposed to like, you know, kind of what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I can, can see some of uh, that in there. Uh, one of the questions we like to ask is just around just education and like, what do you enjoy, uh, reading or what's a, what are the books you like to recommend? What are you reading right now? You don't have to answer all of those all at one time, but like, man, what are, what are the books that you most often recommend somebody yeah. read? Um, so I've, I've read a lot of, and I definitely suggest like if there's like a top hundred list out there of like the best business books, um, there was a, a point where I was probably putting like one down like a week, right? Yeah. And just really trying to like, I wouldn't say that every business book is valuable for every business person, but I would say that you could take at least one thing out of every business book, even if it isn't for your business. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my uh, I was lucky that my my father was the type that that had all of those books around when I was growing up as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, you know, everything from, uh, um, what is it? How to make friends and like to get, to get them to like people, like, you know, like how things to like that or whatever, and people, how to yeah. make friends and influence people. Like, you know, those yeah. were in his library or whatever. Right. So that's what I'm saying is that I, definitely, I think that there's value in all business books. Um, a lot of what I've been focused on a lot lately has actually been more of, um, legal documents than anything um, yeah. and like the ways that things become law or whatnot yeah. um, a lot of it comes out of the fact that i am considering um there's a new law that passed in arizona that allows people like me to start a law firm where mm -hmm. instead of let's say helping out attorneys i could have um, my own law firm and do things maybe a little bit different um, cool. so a lot of what i've been reading as of late has been a lot of legal documents and um trying to understand if it's something that let's say I want to become a lawyer um, or if um, it's something that um, I need to be. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that like my stage of where exactly I'm reading right now is not really as much business related as I would say, as I would yeah. like it to be. Um, and a lot of, I would say the um, focus is um, on a, our own book um, that we have coming out um, probably middle of the summer, um, I would yeah. say. Um, which has kind of kept me uh, from reading other people's great books. Yes, let's uh, go. Have a name yet? It's it's in the works right now. I'm literally yeah. as as we're as we're talking. I saw a couple of there's like five uh, team members that are all helping with different you know pieces of it. Nice. Um, you know the design and things like that. And you know it's the the title is in the works. So for now, let's just say it's in the works. But um, the goal is just to uh, you know back to our why. Um, we want to help more people by helping. The people that can help those people understand exactly what we've done and what our clients are doing and basically the front to end um you know here's the step-by-step -step solution for you and the different you know things that you're going to need to set up to make this because 
like dentists and doctors, lawyers are the same where they go to law school, they don't go to business school. Mm. That's so good. Well, man, before we dive into the lightning round, which we're about to do, I I can't, I can't be interviewing someone like you in the space you're in and not, (laughs) not bring up the fact that I've seen mesothelioma commercials for the past decade. I don't have much comment other than (laughs) how is that still being aired? Is that like the biggest case in, in us history? Uh, But literally for the last 10 years, I've seen commercials for mesothelioma. What's that about? So it's probably, um, so before we came around a lot of um, the way that you would advertise would basically be to like buy up unused airtime um, for things like that, where it's like, Hey, nobody wants to run at 3am for their TV show. So, Hey, it'll run this, you know, one hour video that basically just says, you know, if you have, you know, miso call or whatever, Um, it all comes down to like how hard it is to find a person. And in that case, they're extremely hard to find. um, But then their value is, is, um, you know, substantial, let's just say Mm. it's like probably like a million dollars what they would settle their lawsuit for. Um, You know, we do things like that too, um, where, you know, clients will want miso miso cases. um, But a lot of times it's, you know, um, it's helping them understand that that's not really uh, the focus of, let's say there's thousands of lung cancer cases that were caused by whatever caused mesothelioma, that they can help more people with lung cancer. So it's just helping them kind of reframe like, hey, I can help a thousand people that had lung cancer versus trying to find the diamond and the rough one person uh, that got mesothelioma that could be tied specifically back to this that they could sue for. Um, But I think it's um, attorneys in general, um, and not that there's anything wrong with attorneys, um, but we don't do what we do for attorneys, but we definitely do it for like that one person um, that maybe actually did get mesothelioma from it was probably asbestos or something asbestos, like that or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, we just do it in a different way. Right. And so instead of uh, blasting, let's say everybody, we would blast like the people that were most likely that worked in that industry and you know things like that. So it's digital is a little bit different than TV. TV is a little like a spray and pray. Yeah, it's definitely a spray and pray. Oh, yeah. I love it. I just it needed some context. That, that your sleep patterns aren't the same as no. Lucas. No, that's what's crazy is it's not middle of the night. It's not, and it's it'll be like a, a, a an actual commercial, you know, for like a three minute spot on mesothelioma that I just think is interesting. So I yeah, need that just must mean that that network is um having trouble selling their inventory. Yeah, and so there's, yeah. if it was like uh, now this year is a good example, right? Where a lot of like brick and mortar and stuff like that, so a lot of companies turned off their advertising, yeah, um, or didn't have a, the, the same need for it. But yeah, um, there's definitely um bad actors out there and then there's also like the um the ones that just want to get their name out there um that is not um necessarily oh that makes sense who Mm -hmm. we like to work with or whatnot um i think there is also like you know certain value in a brand right so they're just branding themselves uh in any way that you know anybody else would brand but that's awesome well thank you i just wanted some context that was like the when i saw who we were interviewing i was like oh i wonder if this is like the mesothelioma thing i see this <laughs> not, the, not the tv commercials yet yeah no. if we if we do those um, i'll just make them better for you yes <laughs> yes make them more entertaining and if your name is drew mcclure and you're watching this this one's for you yeah, I wanna, that's exactly I wanna what i was thinking actually drew Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There Thank was some you. um, there was some attorney back 
a couple of years ago that did a Super Bowl commercial. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, but it was, it was like a personal injury. Like, you know, he, he drug his sledgehammer through a graveyard with fire on it and type stuff. Like, um, there's definitely like different ends of the spectrum. Um, yeah. but I think in general, um, where law firm marketing has been, um, has definitely been like not in touch with like today. So, yeah. Yeah. Was it John Foyer? I'm not sure it might have been. If it is, that means his advertising work because I don't know crap yeah. about lawyers. And in my head, I think John Foyer strong arming the law or something like that. Could be. It could be yeah. him. Yeah. If not, that's um, like a that's like a billboard that you drive by that you don't I probably know. drive by it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It got you. Inception, it happened. Uh right. yeah. Lewis, man, I appreciate how you're going about it the right way and that you're set on really serving and helping people. Uh, in our nation, in our world. Uh, really respect you for that. Uh, let's hop into the lightning round. I got five questions for you. Uh, five question answers. number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? To take pride and ownership in everything that they touch or do and that their specific thoughts, actions, and expertise truly matters. Nice. Awesome. What's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing uh, your business or a business? Um, actually from my current business partner with X Social Media, Jacob Mallerby. Um, and I would say that it's finding ways to bring your industry up and partner with your competitors as opposed to eliminate competitors in an industry a lot of times works out better for you than um, trying to compete only. Nice. I like that. Uh, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? Um, I would say things outside of our control. So the fact that we, for instance, advertise on Facebook a lot, um, different privacy changes, iOS 14, things like that, um, you know, things that are not within our control that would make it harder or more expensive for us to help people would mean that less people would get help. Yeah. Uh, number four, uh, what's, what's your BHAG? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal right now? Uh, for X social or for you, uh, you can do both or either. Um, so I would say here in 2021, our big, hairy, audacious goal is $100 million in revenue this year. Um, and then I would say myself, um, I would say in the next 10 years, for sure, I'd like to lead a billion-dollar company, which this could very well be that. Yeah, nice. Boom. Uh, number five, if you could hop into a DeLorean, you're going to go back to the past, tell yourself one thing from the driver's side window. Uh, when are you going back and what would you tell yourself? Just don't like touch each other so that we don't do a space time. Exactly. You don't want to mess with right. it. You can't mess with the don't past. Don't screw up the universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first, it'd be cool to have a flying car for real. I think Orlando's got something coming in there. Um, yeah. But I would say to take more risks earlier in life, but find ways, which I only found later in life to take those risks with other people's money. Mm. Yeah. 
We should have gotten into that on the podcast. That sounds very interesting. Yes. Well, banks need vehicles, right? They need something to loan money off and businesses they loan money to all the time. So a lot of times it's easier to get a business loan than a personal loan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so things that you didn't think of when you're, let's say 16 and starting the business was, Hey, to pay these people, I could present this business model and opportunity to a bank and then they would actually give me a loan. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, you know, money is sometimes cheap and it's usually based off of your current business, but it also can be based off of other things as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I would have gone back to 2019 and told myself to take out a huge loan and put all of it into zoom stock right away. Right. (laughs) That, or at one point I did tell my father to um, invest his entire 401k into Tesla at the time. And if he would have done that, that would have been a great investment, you know, things like that. Right. Like that, that sport book or the sport you know, the, betting um, book. Yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be money. Yeah. Those, those, those break the rules. You can't do any of those. Uh, I know. Like it. That's you awesome. Know. Well, Lucas, man, man thank, you. thank you for being on the podcast today. I know you protect your calendar, so we're honored to be on it. And uh, man, just like Jordan said, we are uh, pumped that you, people like you are in the world that are uh, helping people uh, really get justice and protecting them. And that you're also, uh, a great business person leading an awesome team of people and changing their lives in the process as well. So thank you for coming on, sharing your wisdom uh, and your perspective. I know it's going to help so many people listening. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was truly a pleasure to be here, Drew and Jordan. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Lucas. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.